0: Beautiful music from Jillian and always from our worship team, yes? Amen. Amen. Good morning. Uh, We hope you had a blessed Christmas time with uh, family and friends this past week and a healthy one at that. Thankful to be up here uh, this morning. COVID paid uh, our home a little visit, even stayed with us for a while, uh, which meant some moving around uh, of the order of this month's messages, but I do get to close out the series, and I'm thankful for that, so thank you. Uh, If you turn in your Bibles to the book of beginnings, Genesis chapter 11, Genesis 11, we'll be spending our time, our entire time this morning in this book, chapters 11 to 21. Again, you may have noticed the sermon series we are working our way through this month, Miraculous Births in the Bible, five Sundays in December, spotlighting Uh, Just five of the many found in the pages of Scripture, and my assignment, as I think you figured out already, on this final day of 2023, is the birth of Isaac, the miraculous birth of Isaac. And it is miraculous, you know this one, right? God promises Abraham and Sarah in their old age that they're going to have a son, and it is a miracle, it is a miracle, And that is a good starting place for us. Uh, A thread I'd like to pull on here for a moment before we make our way through that Genesis narrative, Uh, I'd like to speak to you about mistaken identities. That is the importance of discerning the difference between what we would call a miracle of God and the caring providence of God. A miracle of God and the caring providence of God. Far too often we confuse the two. It's a a clear case of mistaken identity. If you'd imagine for a moment that you are driving down a distant highway and one of the tires on your vehicle begins to go flat. And so here's some bad news. Your your spare tire is missing. You look and you see you don't have a spare tire. Worse yet, you pull into the only service station around for miles and you learn that they don't have a single tire like yours and they're not going to have it anytime soon in the shop. And so you're likely going to be stranded there for a while. And so what do we do? We pray. You decide rightly to pray. And so all of a sudden, a monster pickup truck pulls in for gas and just so happens to have the exact same tire that you need in the back of the bed of its truck. Now, the question is here, is this a miracle? A miracle is an act of God that overthrows the laws of nature. So, it may surprise you to hear this answer this morning, that the answer is no. No, that's, that's not a miracle, meaning that your flat tire would have had to begin to inflate before your very eyes, looking as brand new as a, as a Goodyear off the rack in order for it to be a miracle. Surely such an act like that would have been a law-defying miracle, but not this time. What you would have experienced and likely you've experienced in your life is known as the caring providence of God, the caring providence of God. The caring providence of God is an answer to prayer. Or, Or even if you didn't pray about it and the Lord has provided a need, that is an act of God's divine loving providence, loving providence. Have you ever given testimony about how God's met a need of yours in a way that you didn't expect, but there's nothing supernatural that happened with it, nothing supernatural about it, nothing overthrowing the laws of nature. Instead, it is a working of God's sovereignty, when God is working through providence, and he always is, the Almighty is busy, he's, he's upholding, he's, he's guiding. You see this behind me here, he's caring for his creation. In reality, God is at work in providence in every details, every detail of our lives, all the time. Take as an example what is known today. You know this as the miracle on the Hudson. The miracle on the Hudson. And it's amazing to think that this happened 15 years ago. Can you believe that? Was the emergency landing of an Airbus A320 in the Hudson River on January 15, 2009, proof of a miracle? Was it truly a miracle? Not at all. Not at all. Nothing about that heroic landing, which wonderfully saved 150 passengers and five crew, transcended the laws of nature. Now, we don't and, and won't deny that God personally protected all those aboard that plane. He did. His regard for them was remarkable. His, his effect upon them was extraordinary. Yet, this wasn't a miracle, but rather an act of God's caring providence. Do you see the difference? Again, it is a case of mistaken identities. Both are of God, but only one is truly miraculous. Okay, so now... What I want to share with you this morning involves both a miraculous birth, a miracle, one that overthrows the uh, laws of nature. And at the same time, in the context of this miracle, you'll be reminded about his caring providence for each of us, his caring providence, his sovereign and guiding hand through every detail of our lives. Look with me at Genesis, uh, Genesis chapter 11 Genesis 11. And I want you to, to, I want to walk you through four reasons why this birth looks impossible. One, two, three, four reasons why this birth looks to be impossible, but it is not with God. God promises a son. And again, as you already know, he delivers on the promise, his promise. And here is why this birth looks so impossible. Number one here. Sarai was barren from the beginning. Sarai will be Sarah. Her name changes to Sarah. Sarai was barren from the beginning. Genesis 11, chapter 11, verse 30. Sarai was barren. She had no child. Simple statement here: She was incapable of producing offspring. And this is beautiful. This is a Romans 8:28 kind of thing here because the beginning of the fulfillment of this glorious promise would be a conception miracle and, as you know, the birth of Isaac. In other words, God has a purpose in her being barren. But there's more to really consider here in number one, another tidbit. And it's that Abram's wife was barren before they came to the promised land. Again, there's no coincidence here. It was planned by God. And we know this because in sixteen two Genesis 16.2, Sarah said, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. God, please hear me on this. God is putting in place circumstances that will make the fulfillment of his promise humanly impossible. And one of those circumstances is an even bigger promise in 12.2. Look at 12.2. This is the Abrahamic Covenant. Do you remember this one? From my two messages recently on Israel. If you turn over to 12:2 there, Genesis 12.2 reads, And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing. This child of promise, Isaac, must be born in the land of promise. And so this, this birth. It looks impossible already from human eyes. I mean, do you see this? God is making the promise after the knowledge that Sarah was barren. And by the way, she's at this point 65 years old when the promise is made, and Abraham is 75. Think on that for a moment. God had closed her womb and then made the big promise, the Abrahamic Covenant. Furthermore, if Abraham believes this promise, it will be a believing not just in the ability of God to predict what is going to happen in the future, but literally here, a believing in the power of God to create a future that is humanly impossible, to believe that God is going to perform a miracle, to act really against the laws of nature. And God's purpose here is to do what is humanly impossible. It's mission impossible. Abraham and Sarah will have to trust God that in his power and grace, he will perform this miracle. And when he does, he alone will receive the glory. And of course, this is never, ever as easy as it seems, believing God, trusting him. And that is because we're just not accustomed to promises being kept. Have you ever had anyone break a promise? Of course you have. Happens all the time. The answer is yes, because we are imperfect people, right? Therefore, it is in our nature not to trust. An employer says that he or she is going to promote you, but doesn't. Someone promises to pay you back, but hasn't. They broke their promise. You share something confidential, very personal with a person, and they promise, I'm going to keep that to myself, but they don't. A family member says they're going to be at an important event, but they aren't there. Uh, A politician promises, well, we all know how that one goes. You get the point. Whatever the illustration, you have your own. When somebody actually keeps their word today, we're surprised. Whether it is a marriage where we make vows or a contract that is signed. In today's society, promises are broken every single day. But as believers, we must remember and frankly celebrate that God always keeps his promises. Five great words, right? God always keeps his promises. God dwells in constant truth. He not only does not lie, he cannot lie. You might say, well, aren't you putting God in a box there? Well, the reality is he can't. It's against his nature to do so, to lie. God always keeps his promises. 7,474 promises are found in Scripture from God. Now, I got to be careful here because this is not to say that God will answer every prayer of ours the way we think he should, right? There are times when we pray for something and God says no because it's in his timing, it's his will, not really ours. I really like that song by Billy Joel, it's a matter of trust because he's right. It's, it's a matter of trust. And here's the rub. Even though we can fully trust God, we don't naturally trust him. We don't. It goes against our fallen nature. And we're so conditioned by that very nature to not trust. And so then in a situation like this, because this promise, this birth looks impossible. I mean, she's barren. Abraham is attempting to find a way to make it happen by ordinary human means. Let's call it this morning a human solution. It's a human solution. We, we see this here in Abraham's life. And the first natural thought Abraham has is that God may fulfill his promise to make him a great nation. Again, Genesis 12, 2, by raising up an heir to him through his slave, Eliezer, Eliezer. And so God has to set Abraham straight here and make sure he sees how impossible he really means the promise to be. And this is human solution number one, a legal heir, which is refused by God. A legal heir, and that's Eliezer of Damascus. Look at Genesis 15. Turn to Genesis 15, beginning in verse 2. We're going to read verses 2, 3, and 4 here. Again, chapter 15, verse 2. Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me since I am childless and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, Since you have given me no offspring, you've given no offspring to me, one born in my house is is my heir. Now, adoption of a servant as an heir, this was a a well known legal practice in Abraham's day. Verse 4. Then behold, the word of the Lord came to him saying, this man will not be your heir, but one who will come forth from your own body, he shall be your heir. So God refused this human solution. To Abram, soon to be called Abraham, literally a father of many, this promised birth looks now impossible. He refuses, he denies Abraham's plan to legally fulfill it. Instead here, God is saying, no, Abraham, my, my promise will not be fulfilled with the human solution, uh, using your servant as your legal heir. My way will be humanly impossible. Again, end of verse four, one who will come forth from your own body, he shall be your heir. Did you catch that? God said the child will come from Abraham directly. And so, this gets them, I believe this gets them really thinking, Abraham and Sarah, because God didn't say anything here yet about Sarah. And so, hey, here's, here's another idea, another plan, right? It's, a, it's another human solution that's coming up here, human solution two, use a concubine to get the promise to come true, which results in the birth of Ishmael. Ishmael. If you turn to chapter 16, just look at chapter 16. And watch what happens when Abraham and Sarah actually try this. 16 verses 1 and 2. Now, Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne no children. And she had an Egyptian maid whose name was Hagar. So, Sarai said to Abram, Now, behold, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I will obtain children through her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarah. Now men, husbands, this is where they're elbowing their wives and going, see, you see? FYI, Sarah was often wiser than her husband, much wiser at times. Verse 15, we have, so Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram called the name of his son whom Hagar bore Ishmael. Ishmael. A couple of quick comments here. First, Ten years have passed since the promise. Sarah is now 75. Abraham is 85. And second, again, this is the custom of their day. This was the custom of their day. Sarah's maid was, in effect, her own sort of personal property. So any children that she might bear to Abraham would legally belong to Sarah. You see what they're doing. And third, while we may read this as extremely distasteful, and and it is, don't forget that Abraham, actually on two occasions, he asks Sarah to lie and risks sharing her with another man. So they both have relationship issues. They've got commitment issues. Now look at uh, chapter 17, verses 15 and 16. 15 and 16 to see what God says about this. Chapter 17, verses 15 and 16. Then God said to Abraham, as for Sarah, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarah. Here it is. But Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her. And indeed, I will give you a son by her. Again, Abraham thought he knew the way to the promise. And so both he and Sarah had figured out another human solution to what he saw as an impossible birth. It would be an heir from his own body. But God refuses and says, "Uh, no, I will perform the miracle I had originally promised. Verse 17, then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, will a child be born to a man 100 years old? And will Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. But God said, no, but Sarah your wife will bear a son, and you shall call his name Isaac, and I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. For his descendants after him. Which brings us to Isaac and Ishmael's legacies, their legacies. Did you know that in Islam, uh, Muslims believe that Ishmael is the one. He is the true son of promise, of the promise instead of Isaac. They switch him. And while they have little regard for our Bibles, one of their favorite verses that they like to use to support this is in verse 20, still in chapter 17. Verse 20. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I will bless him and will make him fruitful and will multiply him exceedingly. He shall become the father of 12 princes, and I will make him a great nation." And this does indeed come to pass, just not in the way they think. If you turn back to 16:12, an important verse here, 16:12, and here God is speaking directly to Hagar. In fact, she is addressed by name in verse eight. but in 16:12, God foretells the uh, nature and the ultimate legacy of the one called Ishmael literally god hears look at this verse 1612 and he will be a wild donkey of a man his hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand will be against him and he will live to the east of all his brothers so god has given us a commentary on the long history of the Arab peoples, those who are descended from Ishmael specifically. And we see it played out, especially today. I mean, let's just unpack this just for a moment. A wild donkey of a man is a cultural reference to one who is untamable and who is strong. He is untrustworthy and he's living wild in the desert. And God foretells here that his hand will be against everyone. Did you catch that? perpetually in conflict with others in the Hebrew against the face of his brethren. And because of that, everyone's hand will be against him as he lives generally to the east of his brothers. This is the legacy of Ishmael. And again, we, we see it today. You know, just this week, I could go on a rant on this. I'm not going to, but just this week, Egypt, I don't know if you saw this proposed a peace plan for Israel and Hamas and it was that the strip of Gaza would go under Palestinian control and that uh, when that was even mentioned uh, originally Israel said well we're out of the conversation rightly so but then they were saying you will receive all your hostages those who are alive you'll receive your hostages but you've got to let go all those prisoners all those terrorists you need to let them go Hamas held hands with the Islamic Jihad and responded and said, we're not interested either because we want to see every Israelite gone from that land. So we see this playing out today, the legacy of Ishmael. But it also reminds us how important the legacy of Isaac is. How important the legacy of Isaac is. I mean, without the birth of Isaac, the Abrahamic covenant, it simply cannot be. I mean, sure, there there could be, you know, getting philosophical here, there could be land possibly, but, but not seed or, or blessings fulfilled with this promise from God. And then we'd have to add to that a divine character flaw, an unfulfilled miraculous birth would have been promised from the ultimate promise keeper, meaning that God then does not keep his promises, which is simply untrue. And then moreover, you know, God did not have to promise Abraham, Isaac, or even choose the nation of Israel. He could have chosen another nation. You know what? He could have chosen none. Or Abraham's physical children. Isaac was chosen by God, not Ishmael. Of Isaac's physical children, Jacob was chosen, chosen by God, not Esau. Again, it's all a part of God's plan. And from a human perspective, from a human point of view, if Isaac had not been born. Tragically, we could say Christ would not have come. Again, all from a human perspective. And why this birth looks so impossible. One more to dwell on here, number four. Number four. Abraham and Sarah advanced in age. They're advanced in age. This is chapter 18. Genesis 18, look at verses 10 to 14. When you consider that Sarah was barren from the beginning and that Abraham's human solution of a legal heir, Eliezer, was refused, as well as Abraham and Sarah's human solution, the second one that resulted in Ishmael, and lastly, here that they're advanced in age, how can you not see that this birth is impossible? How can you not look at it as impossible? So God comes directly to Abraham and makes this promise again. uh, Chapter 18, verse 10. He said, I will surely return to you at this time next year. And behold, Sarah, your wife will have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door, which was behind him. Now Sarah, I'm sorry. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in age. Remember where they are. What stage of life they are in. Abraham is roughly 99 years old. She's roughly 89, 90 years old. And we read Sarah was past childbearing. She's long past her reproductive years, past menopause. At age 90, she is thinking, I'm going to be pregnant, a, conce- a conception in me, <laughs> I'm going to carry this child for nine months in this body, and then a delivery. Verse 12, Sarah laughed to herself. She laughed at the promise of God in her heart, and God knows her heart as she was saying, after I have become old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also. There's kind of a a sensual undertone in that statement. She's expressing here laughter and doubt. Laughter and doubt. It's it's a cynical laugh, right? Because the birth of, looks impossible to her. Abraham and Sarah had initially limited their view to what was humanly possible. First you have Eliezer, a legal heir, and then through Hagar, resulting in legal ownership of the child Ishmael. But that was not the promise. That's not the promise God had made to Abraham. Note here in our text that God is talking with Abraham. He's not talking with Sarah. Verse 8, Verse 8, she's inside the tent behind the flap, which separated their own compartment from the, the rest of the tent, so she could hear what they were saying. But God's not talking directly to her. He's talking to Abraham. Verse 13, And the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I indeed bear a child when I am so old? Is anything too difficult for the Lord? God does whatever he wills at His appointed time. At His appointed time. Ben read for us earlier from Ecclesiastes chapter 3 that God sovereignly sets the clock for all human events. All of them. I mean, as we come upon the new year, we're reminded of those words that he read from Ecclesiastes, for everything there is a season, a, a time for every activity under the heaven, a time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to harvest. The author of Ecclesiastes is using a literary device known as a marissimus, a marissimus. It's extremes that emphasize everything in between. So from life to death, from planting to harvesting, all events of life, they exist on God's timetable. And so we need to be careful entering a new year with doubt. For again, from Ecclesiastes Uh, We cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. And that is exactly what happened here with Abraham and Sarah. They they are not the Lord. They cannot see the whole scope of his work from beginning to end. But we have God's word. We have it in our possession, the completed canon. And in the book of beginnings, we have Isaac's birth announcement. Chapter 21, if you turn to chapter 21, our last chapter, passage to turn to this morning, 21 verses 1 through 3. I love this. I love this because we can trace God's trustworthiness from the beginning of Abraham's story to this blessed event. I like to call this Abraham's birth announcement in chapter 21. It says, then the Lord, look at these words, took note of Sarah as he said. The NIV says it this way, The Lord, Yahweh, right, was gracious to Sarah. Yahweh visited her. And the Lord did for Sarah as he had promised. So Sarah conceived and bore a son to Abraham in his old age. Do you see these words? At the appointed time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac. Isaac in Hebrew, Yitzchak. Yitzchak. You say it right when something lands on the back of the person sitting in front of you. Yitzchak. The name Isaac means one who laughs. One who laughs or even rejoices. You know, Sarah may have had the, really the first laugh, But God had the last laugh, right? By declaring that the child's name would be that of laughter, that of of smiles. And if you need to be encouraged, then remember this. Sarah is listed in the heroes of faith in that chapter in in Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 11. Implying that the, the presence of doubt, please hear me on this, the presence of doubt doesn't necessarily mean the person lacks persevering faith for the trial ahead. Doubts will come. They're gonna come. But a true faith will endure. Doubts will come, but a true faith will endure. And this brings us right back to the rhetorical question in 1814. Is there anything too difficult for the Lord? Is there anything too difficult for the Lord? Now, of course, the answer is so blatantly obvious. We all know the answer. Nothing is too difficult for the Lord. But I I would ask that you answer this question quietly to yourself on December 31st, 2023, looking over this past year through the trials of 2023, physical difficulties. Emotional, relational, spiritual, you fill in the blank. And if we're honest in our assessment here, we would answer yes, yes. We often find ourselves in unbelief when waiting for an answer to a challenging prayer request. When you are, are hanging on for dear life only to have the fingers of your faith pried open by some kind of skepticism and some kind of doubt. How do you hang on to God's trustworthiness while you wait? Make Mark 9.24 a part of your prayer life. You know these words, right? Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. This this plea, by the way, came from a a desperate father as he was interceding on behalf of his afflicted child. All followers of of Jesus have, have both belief and doubt in us at the same time, if we're honest, if we're honest. Peter had it on the water. Thomas had it with the, uh, the imprint in Jesus's hands. Help me, Lord, to remember that you, Lord, are, are never accidentally late in your promises to me, in your caring providence towards me, Do you have health issues you're bringing before the Lord? Do you have a a family member that needs the Lord? Do you have a a marriage that needs God's healing? Do you have a, a career path that needs His guidance? Do you have, do you have, do you have? You do. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Forgive me for being so short sighted in my faith. Lord, I believe there is nothing too difficult for you, Lord, but I don't always live it. I don't. What may have seemed like an all-out, easy, multiple choice for us this morning, well, it isn't, isn't it? Sometimes we laugh and doubt, and sometimes we just doubt. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Lord, help me to remember that my plans and your timetable aren't always the same. I mean, Isaac was born 25 years after Abraham had received the promise. 25 years. What does this delay teach us about God's timing? It says to me, I need to make room on my 2024 planner for God's ways and beyond. Should he tarry, don't you? You know, some of the most powerful uh, outcomes are delayed. Some of the most powerful outcomes are are delayed. One of my favorite is bamboo. I'm kind of fascinated with bamboo a little bit. It can barely be seen for the first five years of its growth. It's building extensive root systems underground for about five years. And then it explodes 90 feet in the air within six weeks. But for those first five years you almost don't even know it exists. You kind of wonder, is it dead? Is it really going to happen? Doubt? We need to be patient with his promises. And we need to be humble here, realizing that at times our heart's answer is often yes. And, you know, that's wrong. Don't let doubt infect your faith. You know that the right answer is not yes. Is there anything too difficult for the Lord? No. No. And the reason we know this to be true is because it is seen all throughout Scripture. Job says in 42.4, I know you can do all things. Jeremiah in 32.17 says, Ah, Lord God, nothing is too difficult for you. And even the Christmas angel states, What? With God, all things are possible. Certainly his miracles his promises but also his caring providence in our lives again caution here be careful with his promises and be careful in your prayer life because sometimes what you're asking for it may be a no answering the most challenging prayer request is not too difficult for the lord you may not get the answer you want but he's going to answer it giving you strength when you are especially weak because it's not too difficult for the Lord. So ask the Lord for strength and wisdom. Strength to keep going when you're weary of waiting. Wisdom to avoid rash decisions when you feel impatient. Nothing is too difficult for the Lord in 2024. Nothing. Not a thing. Not in the least. Nil. Null. None. Not a soul, not a part, not a problem, nothing. Nothing is too difficult for the Lord. Did you have a rough 2023? We can't always make sense of things, but we can trust in the one who can. Nothing is too difficult for the Lord. And knowing this truth will save hours and hours of doubt and worrying. Chuck Swindoll said this quite some time ago, but I I noted it when he had said it because I just thought it was excellent in one of his sermons years ago. Wise is the one who lives with an understanding that God is the one who calls the cadence. He's the one that calls the cadence. He calls the tempo. He calls the beat. He calls the rhythm of our lives. Not you, not me. There are seasons that we go through things. We experience things. God calls the cadence. And and sometimes God will not settle for anything less than the path of impossibility. You know, the Lord aims to show us that nothing is too difficult for him, for the Lord. But regardless of the outcome, regardless of a a yes or no to your specific prayer request, regardless of whether it is uh, miraculous or the caring providence of God, his purpose and all that he does is to magnify his grace. And to keep us humble in our place with uh, patience, steadfastness, uh, contentment. That is to accept in in faith with a, a thankful heart and a submissive spirit that which God in his wisdom ordains for us. Now, there are... Some of you that may be thinking, how could God possibly be my help and strength? I mean, if other people in this auditorium, if they, if they knew of my past or even my present, I would never come back. I mean, how, how could I ever be reconciled truly to a holy God in heaven? And yet the great and almighty promise keeper knows and says these words come let us reason together though your sins be as scarlet they shall be white as snow though they be red like crimson they shall be white as wool that if if you would uh, come to god and just confess your sin to god god would just wipe the slate clean forever and ever and would take that sin and bury it in in the sea of his forgetfulness and he would remember it no more That's what God says he will do. And we can't laugh and doubt and say, no, God can't do that. Well, not only can God do that, he's already done it. If you're a believer in Christ, he's already done it. The moment you commit your life to him, he forgives all of your sins, past, present, and future. So if you've never committed your life to Christ, there could never, ever really be a better time than to do it this very moment. I mean, on the edge of 2023 and 2024, you don't have to walk an aisle, raise a hand, sign a card. Just right where you are right now, right where you are seated right now, in your heart, come to Christ. Take that step of faith from one of unbelief to belief. And he will, he'll walk with you every step of the way. You could never be any more secure in this world than to be held in the saving hands of the Savior, Jesus Christ. Put your trust in him, the great promise keeper, and he will, uh, he'll rescue you. He'll redeem you. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, looking back at the past 12 months, we, we want to thank you for your grace to us. Regardless of our struggles, as we've said, be, be it uh, health or, or wealth or relationships, life, forgive us for being so short-sighted. Forgive us for uh, our doubt, for living as if you do not exist in our trials and lord we do believe but help us with our unbelief we commit 2024 to you we aim to to walk and and remember in the midst of our trials that with god all things are possible that there is nothing too difficult for you lord and that if the the trial still remains so be it then so will our recognition that your caring providence is also a part of that difficult journey. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for that as we're going to sing here in a moment. You are the fairest Lord Jesus. Beautiful Savior. Lord of all the nations. Son of God and Son of Man. Glory and honor, praise, adoration, now and forevermore be thine. In Christ's name we pray this, amen.